Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast, ahead of its screening at the LA Comedy Film Festival. Smrithika Madhukar talks with Nick Roth. Can a man and his sentient napkin save the world? Well, thank you so much, Nick, for agreeing to this interview. We're very excited to jump into the world of Hanky Panky. Just wondering, where did you get this? Where did you get this idea from? It's so genre bending. So where did you land on the genre as well? The, 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 the answer to this is complicated. Um, I think like most of the time when we think about movies, whether we're watching them or making them, we, we, we tend to think that like they come from somebody coming up with some kind of an idea story they want to tell something that will make money something that's burning passion inside them hanky panky really came mostly out of um like the movie itself came out of what can we accomplish it was it 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 most mostly came out of like pragmatics rather than being like look i gotta tell this burning story about a talking napkin who's (laughs) It's all fun cleaning up messes and that's a metaphor for like, that's not, it came from a long time ago. Um, Lindsay and I, Lindsay is the, Lindsay is my, my wife and co-director. Um, and we're both in the movie as well. Green team. And, thank you. And we had made a lot of shorts together and music videos and we had sort of been working on stuff and kind of frustrated with, I mean, those are all wonderful experiences, but kind of frustrated with, there's never really a, like a, a a distribution world out there for short films or music videos, even so much anymore, mm-hmm. independently produced, right? So there was one, some, this was back in the summer of 2015, we were watching um, a bunch of VH1, like, behind, like the making of documentaries about movies. And there was a bunch of them that were really interesting. The one that stood out the most to us was the making of Wet Hot American Summer, which is a comedy that, we both loved. And what was really striking about it was that uh, you wouldn't know it necessarily from watching the movie, but the entire cast and crew, it all takes place, right? It's a monolocation film at a summer camp. And the whole cast and crew stayed together in the cabins at the summer camp while they were um, making the film there. Mm-hmm. Right. And which is, you know, very idiosyncratic for a, a movie with a real budget and whatever. Usually you'd sort of, you know, stay in hotels or whatever. And, van people in right but um i I, like i want to believe that a a lot of the reason that the sort of that movie is so effective and launched like the careers of so many actors was that um like some element of that the energy and the vibe of them all staying there together and being in the camp like they managed to translate that onto screen somehow Mm -hmm. and i think that in in a bunch of sort of like you know the the sort of like most enduring comedies that's like that we also watched the making of Caddyshack which is another one of those movies that it's it's hard to put your finger exactly on what makes it you know one of the greatest comedies of all time but you know they were all staying together in a hotel in Florida where everybody got like a hurricane came and they all got stayed in and turned into like a coke orgy and like Chevy Chase is there and being an asshole and crazy like it the story of the making of of these films is feels like it feels like they got stuff on screen something intangible in the sort of the energy the whether it's the camaraderie of all staying together or the the sort of like the the claustrophobia and the love hate that comes of it so we were like we were watching these movies and we were like 
let's do it. Let's make a feature. And Lindsay's dad lives in this cabin up in the mountains mm-hmm. in Utah. He's a he's a composer. He also composed the score for the movie. Um, we managed to do a lot of this is in, very tightly in house with our close mm-hmm. close family. We were like, okay, we have a cabin. So and we both grew up in L.A. Lindsay is a child actor or was a child actor, and, and some a lot of our friends are actors. So we were like, okay, cabin we have ensemble cast we have. Uh, we had this sort of weird camera that we won with a short film at Slamdance that year, um, which was called, the, it's the Digital Bolex D16 camera. It is a, a, a guy that we know, a friend of ours, is one of the producers on the movie, Joe Rubenstein, invent, like, invented this camera. It was a crowdfunded camera that took a lot of the elements of old 16 millimeter cameras that were sort of like the favorite of filmmakers back in the 70s um, and made it sort of a digital, a 2K digital cinema camera that would um, replicate some of the feel of that and let you use the old 16 millimeter lenses that now you couldn't use on 35 millimeter cameras, right? So it's this weird, it's this weird camera with this sort of unique look. It's very, uh, I mean, it's very versatile, but it's also like grainy and noisy and textured and interesting. At the time, you know, seven, eight years ago when we were conceiving of the project, um, pretty much every independent film was either shot on a, a red or on the the Canon 5D. And we had used both of those in various shorts and music videos. And it was like that, just like everything looked two different ways. It was either that very crisp, beautiful red, usually tinted a little too magenta look that was on the, all these red movies on the 5D, which was very like bright, saturated. And we just like, we were like, well, we'll shoot on this weirder camera that will make it kind of have this, unique so okay we have the camera the camera company was like we'll get you a bunch of lenses we had a friend who shoots mostly adult films but he had a lot of lights and he was like you could you could borrow these lights (laughs) we were like okay we got lights we got cameras we need a crew we couldn't get a crew so we basically didn't have a crew we had um we reached out to all of our talented dp friends and we're like does anyone want to shoot this movie we need someone we have this weird camera we have these weird lenses great lenses to put on this weird camera and uh and everyone was like i can't shoot a whole movie for there was no money there was no budget we were just gonna do this completely truly renegade truly zero budget not like oh it's no money and we had 200 grand no we had no money we were like (laughs) we'll just call in all other favors that we've you know built over the years and, and see if we can pull this off and i had uh and everyone was like no i can't i don't have a month to come shoot a movie and i was like what if you only spent a week and they were like, okay. And so I was like, we'll have we have we'll have three or four different DPs really who will come and shoot the movie and each shoot for a week because we can get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in a, in a perfect world, we would have also had a crew. Yeah. But we couldn't get anybody. To, I mean, we got we got a couple people to come for like a week at a time to help her out with like the boomer stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, the crew was incredibly minimal. <laughs> there was only two or three people who occasionally. Wow helped out and we were just like okay so if we have a very game cast of friends if you're not on camera you're the crew at that moment so there's a lot of scenes in the movie where whoever's the other actor off camera is holding the boom or is you know being the first ad for the day ashley was the first ad a lot who plays diane like (laughs) when she's not on camera because she was Mm -hmm. able to be there for a few extra days when she wasn't shooting so it was this is a long way of 
explaining that like this wasn't a movie that was that was inspired by anything in particular other than that like what were all the ingredients that we had we were like okay well ensemble cast in a cabin i was like we, we the, the the thing that sort of shot out was something like clue a murder mystery people in a cabin people getting killed in a cabin and then also our team had made a short film called hanky panky many years before at um the 48 hour film festival oh yeah where they give you two days do you have to do a whole movie you draw a bunch of things out of a hat and we just you know we, you get like a prop and a line of dialogue or whatever and we were yeah. like well we drew a comedy a napkin was our prop and like uh that's what i'm talking about was the dialogue we were like well okay we got two days we got one we're gonna write a movie tonight we're gonna shoot it tomorrow we're gonna edit it on sunday let's combine everything right let's make the napkin a main character instead of just the prop let's have the napkin be the one who says the line of dialogue like and so we had made this kind of charming short film that was uh like it just a one scene it was like a dinner party awkward dinner party where a couple who would like end up being the sort of cliff and carla couple trying to set up their two opposite friends and they're very awkward and it's not going well but we go underneath the table and we see that their two napkins talk to each other and sort of the date sort of goes as well as it does because the napkins are sort of having a different kind of dimensional conversation um, than the, the people up top. But there was, it was, it was much more PG and, you know, uh, just sort of rom-com-y in, mm-hmm. in one scene. But it, it, it won the audience award and people seemed to really like it. And we were like, okay, so we have, this is our best short. We have a cabin and a camera and an ensemble cast and, a short film idea about a talking napkin. What's the feature film that we can get away with? And the horror element came out of it being the only thing we thought we would ever be able to sell. (laughs) Like if there was ever any chance that people were going to watch this, we were like, it's got to be, I mean, a lot of our team has a background in horror. Um, You know, Lindsay uh, has been in a lot of horror movies as an Mm -hmm. actor, Um, you know, particularly shrooms, which was, uh, uh, the the movie that she did in Ireland many years ago, which r- retains a kind of like cult fandom, which was part of why I was like, oh, I got to get in touch with Irish people about this movie <laughs> because maybe maybe they will appreciate it. It seems like the film culture there um, uh, is cool, and and Lindsay had the best time ever on that movie, uh, Patty Breathnuck's movie Shrooms. Mm-hmm. I think it was two thousand seven, um, and a bunch of other things, right? So like we were like, okay, it's got to be horror so that we can there's some the people will want to see it. Yeah. So it's got to be funny because we got to pull off funny. And I, and that's mm-hmm. just like, I'm a comedy writer principally. So it, it, the, the whole project was birthed out of that. And then the script was modeled around like, okay, we can get this actor for this long. If we can only get them this long. They got to die first kind of thing. So the order of, I was like, I'll make my character the first that dies. Cause I have to be like, I was doing like DIT and like all, like all of that kind of stuff. I was like, I can't, I can't be in too much of this movie, but we need bodies for a, for a horror movie. So let's get everybody to be in it. I'll be in it, but I'll die quickly. Um, and sort of everything then just rolled out of that. And because we have such a tremendous cast, like we did a lot of improv workshops and a lot of like, we all got together for like a whole weekend in LA still. And like, just like ran scenarios from what might be in the movie and did improv and sketch stuff and like worked on the script together and really built the characters and the story around just like what the actors wanted to bring to those characters 
and knowing how long we would have each one like i know we like azure who plays lilith you know we only had her for like a couple days i think which is why we were like okay so we can't see her for a lot of the movie what why why might we why might she be there but we can't see her like that that is what motivated much of the character and story the plot twist uh, of her character and the lines that came with it were some of the funniest that i've heard <laughs> Like, no, why so are you happy. being so two-faced? That was, like, not obvious at first, and then it was so clear and so funny. <laughs> there was, in the first cut of this movie, there was, like, four or five more moments like that where <laughs> he kept tripping up and accidentally, like, insulting. Like, I don't I don't know. I'm so happy you like it because I think the weirdest, the thing in the movie I'm least confident about is whether we pull off this bit where she has a face on the back of her head. Like, what a, that's the... Of all the crazy things that we did in this movie, we did, obviously, it's pretty zany and weird and crazy, but, like, that was, I don't remember where that came from or why we did that, to be honest. (laughs) We just, I think someone said it, it sounded funny, and this was a real movie where we were like, let's go with it. Let's push every, like, we don't owe anything to anybody, so we can make this movie as weird as possible. And Toby, who, Toby's really, like, the third collaborator on this movie with me and Lindsay, like, he... Toby did all the puppets. He's the voice mm-hmm. of Woody. Uh, he plays Norm. But Toby also crafted the, uh, he built that hat. I mean, not the hat. I mean, he built the hat, but he built the the mask for the back of Azure's face by like actually modeling in silicone Azure's face and then like building the silicone model to go onto the back of her head. Um, that's very creative. And it all was worth it. Let me say like, if that scene has a fan base, I'm part of it. Okay. <laughs> right now, I think you are. You maybe are the fan base for that scene. I'm happy to be the the president of that fan base currently because it really was that funny. <laughs> like of all the aliens that could be in the movie, she's one of my favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm so happy you think that it's it's the it is a thing where I'm like, ugh. there was a lot of moments in the editing room where I was like. If I could, I think I would cut out all of the fact that she has a face on the back of her head. But we see it in too many shots, and we talk about it too many times. It's mm-hmm. like a it's load-bearing now in the film. So it's in because it had to be, and you just kind of have to, like, <laughs> you just have to kind of choose to love something. I'm, I'm really personally glad. Like, if there's any outtakes and you want to send them over, I'd be happy to look over them as well. <laughs> just of that, just of that joke. <laughs> there's they're definitely I'll have to go and see if I can find if they're put together <laughs> somewhere but there definitely are and there's a lot of moments where he I can't remember them now off the top of my head because it took so long to edit the movie I wanted to talk about the set design and the production elements um because there's like this I personally thought the dramatic lighting or the sound design really determined where the horror came in and where the comedy came in it was this it allowed for that kind of genre bending and I was wondering, like, with the puppets, the the lighting, was there any sort of limitation with the budget or the lack thereof that you were working with, or um, just how you navigated that 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 plane of horror comedy? That's a this is a great question. Um, I, I screened the movie for a bunch of my students. I also teach film at, at uh, California State University Northridge, and one of my students was like, "The budget's really." part of the story here and I was like that's a great turn of phrase um where we were like because we knew 
there, there's a balance to be struck when you have no budget of like how much to sort of lean into that and showcase it versus try to mask it. And so, you know, I think there's elements of the film that, that, that sort of have a, a, a like a, a higher budget looking feel to them because it's a good camera and we had good lenses. And sometimes if you really craft the right shot, it like looks like a movie movie. Right. And some of the, I love a lot of the stuff we shot outside. When you're shooting outside, you don't have to do, I mean, a snow, snow is the ultimate sort of diffusion. It makes everything look beautiful. You know, not to take anything away from The Revenant, but Hanky Panky <laughs> looks exactly like The Revenant when we're outside. 100%. You, you, got, you point a good camera at people in a bunch of snow and it looks gorgeous. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to like that. So um, there's there's elements like that. And there's, you know, Lindsay was really key on working with the DPs into like shooting some of the more horror-y homage sequence where, you know, with the shaking hand on the doorknob and getting a lot of different setups that really sort of were um, about the anxiety and psychological aspect. That was, I was much more in the sort of like, I want to make, I want to write jokes, write character stuff, whatever. And she was much more in the crafting some of those shots to really feel like, uh, like, uh, like there were horror movie elements. And then of course there's stuff where we're like, look, at the end of the day, this is a movie with, you know, kind of crudely puppeted puppets, right? Because they're, they're not, these aren't marionettes. It's like, it's a napkin and it's just Toby's hand <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and the hat who has no moving parts, right? So we're going to see, we're going to see wires. We're going to see, you know, we'll try to mask that as much as possible until, and, and, you know, in the final sequence, there's, there's one shot where intentionally the fishing pole and the wires are left. I did see that. I was going to ask you about it. <laughs> I was like, we'll do it. We'll just do it once. There's place. I will try to get rid of them where I can and, and we'll see them because we have to. Um, <laughs> but it'll be, I think like by hopefully by that moment, you've sort of earned like that. The, the movie is like, if nothing else, sort of relentlessly attempting to be unpretentious and not sort of making a claim to be a smarter or better movie than it. Like it, I, I want, I, I, that's my, my, like the thing that gets under my skin as a filmmaker when I'm watching other people's movies is when it is pretension, right? Is any sort of like reaching for something you're not acting like you're something you're not acting like the movie is smarter than it is. And so it's something that I'm, you know, in the editing room, the most like if some anything that feels pretentious, I want out of there. And so, you know, it's you, you, you risk like if you show too much of the cheapness, uh, you know, it sounds like you're apologizing for it, right? So you can lean in a certain much and then it's just like this careful balance of like, trying to make it so that you're being funny about it, but not commenting on it too much. And just sort of trying to have it feel satisfying, um, and so that 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 was very much the the navigation of, you know, some of those elements. Yeah, in the like, not to spoil anything, but the four minute sequence with the fight between the hat and the hanky, I was actually screaming at my TV like, "What is <laughs> happening? Like, why is this ridiculous but also funny?" Like, I would gen, I did genuinely watch without moving the four minutes. I'm very happy about this. It's something I fought for because, <laughs> you know, 
while I was editing the movie, Lindsay and I edited it together and she edited a lot of first passes on things. And I, and, but I sort of at some point took over most of the editing <laughs> and, um, there was, a, there was, I was editing, I edited that sequence by myself and, uh, I had it down to, it was about seven minutes, which was, oh, wow. which was very long. And Lindsay was like, it should be 30 seconds. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can't, it's a, it's a hat and a napkin and they're just banging into each other. You can't, this is, can't be the whole end of the movie. And, um, at the time her nephew was, had come and was visiting us for some holiday or whatever it was. And I was editing at home, obviously. And he was seven and at the time obsessed with Transformers. And so he was in the other movie watching Transformers while I was in, a, in, in the office, like editing. And at one point he wandered in and most of Panky Panky, you can't show to a seven year old, but I was working on the fight sequence and I was like trying to trim it down. And he was like, what's this? And I was like, oh, it's a hat and a napkin fighting. And he was like, okay. <laughs> and he came and he sat on my lap and he watched it. And then he was like, you got to play this again. And, and, you know, long story short, he basically made me watch. We just watched this fight sequence at seven <laughs> minutes over and over again. He was screaming and rooting for the napkin. He was totally got it. was totally all in, forgot about Transformers. I was like, Michael Bay is spending too much money on special effects because... <laughs> This is working just as well, right? With with literally twenty bucks in like fishing poles and line, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know that there was a compromise where eventually we got it down to four minutes, and I had to, I really had to sort of re-edit it a lot, and and you know the the seven minute version was not only too long, but probably didn't have enough of the interjections from the human beings in <laughs> in in the scene. Um, and so the final product really of that, of that sequence, which I'm very proud of is the, um, you know, it's the culmination of, of a lot of really good compromise on our team of, of, you know, me wanting to make it incredibly long and, uh, like Hong Kong Kung Fu cinema is, is, is one of my favorite genres period. And so I was like, I want to try to do a, like a proper wire food duel as much as possible. And in the script, there was, there was, there was more scripted that was not able to be accomplished. We shot mm-hmm. that sequence like after a regular day of a long day of filming in the snow and whatever. And it was like night. And we were like, okay, the rest of the cast can go to bed. It'll just be like me and Toby, Lindsay, and whichever of the three DPs it was. <laughs> I can't remember now. I think it was Chris. Um, and we'll just stay up all night and just film a napkin and a and a hat smacking against each other into the wee hours. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I was like, this is when you make a film called Hanky Panky and you've got like you you owe the audience real payoff of a proper of like a of a sustained action sequence you know what i mean like that like how long is the final battle in avatar it's like 40 minutes and it's basically the same thing it's just like blue things and cartoon helicopters banging into each other for (laughs) you know i was like hanky but it could be 10 times as long as it is um no those four minutes did did justice to it i was i was torn between which could be my favorite scene the four minutes there or the the time where the two characters um if i'm not wrong it's diane and uh carla's husband cliff Cliff. when carla and cliff are in the cabin and they're high on the muse shrooms Mm -hmm. and the vfx that went into the editing i mean 
of I was that that cabin is so tiny from the outside and on the inside it really is so big and then everything that happens with them the hat starts talking and you're wondering who can hear the hat who can hear the hanky because once Carla has wine apparently she can hear the hanky otherwise <laughs> nobody else can and then that was something that I was confused for and then after that I completely leaned into the ridiculousness of it because it was just it it made no sense and then it made complete sense in the end that's the magic of hanky panky in my opinion well thank you so much yeah <laughs> I think that like there was look there were there was a lot of edits of this film where I was really working on trying to make it make sense mm-hmm. and then at some point Lindsay said like you need to stop focusing so much on making it make sense and just make it make emotional sense between the, in the relationships between the characters and focus on that. And that was a real turning point in the editing process where it became much more about, okay, let's go on this journey with Sam and Diane and make the, make it about these two people who find each other and sort of hit it off. And we want them to be together and look at all the chaos and nonsense that sort of gets in the way of that. But ultimately we'll give the audience what they want and put Sam and Diane together at the end of the movie. And then sort of build around that rather than, you know, there was, there were a lot of scenes that ended up, whole scenes that ended up on the, that we shot that are on the cutting room floor that were in earlier cuts of the movie that try to help make more sense of a lot of the, you know, logic and physics of, of the movie. And at a certain point, I can't remember, I was, I watched, I was watching some movie where I was like, well, this doesn't make any sense at all. And I still like it. Movie was that. I'll see if I can remember that. Then I was like, I'm going to get rid of all the things that try to make it make any sense mm-hmm. at all. And, and just be like, look, the movie's weird. And I think you're, you're, you're either in because you're on board with these characters and the zaniness or you're out. Like, and it, it, we call out enough times, like, you know, uh, the, the moment where Diane towards the end of the movie, where they fight, where they're confronted by Rebecca and Harry merged together. And she's like, yeah, I just, I don't get <laughs> what's going on and Sam is like I'll explain what I understand of it later mm-hmm. I was like that really like we there's a couple moments like that where we sort of own that it's confusing like I have in my head uh, an explanation that makes sense for everything but yeah rather than try to get all of that onto the screen mm-hmm. slow down the movie and make it about that like I was like this movie is not about the, the the logic or effects of it I thought actually Barbie did a great there's there's a great line in 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 Barbie where they're like, wait, so is it an alternate dimension or is it a dimension that's like, it's better not to just don't even like worry about it, right? Like, just, just, I think it's like that. Like, you just go with it. No, it's like you said, like it takes a while to eliminate trying to find sense in it because like I have, I make notes when I watch movies in general. And at first I was like, is this a neurodivergent Last Supper? And then I was like, maybe... Sam can talk <laughs> I love, to I love that his... part. <laughs> maybe Sam can talk to the hanky because it's just a figment of his imagination. And then right. the hanky hears something about two other people. I was like, well then if he's informing someone of another conversation, who can hear the hanky? And then Carla can hear the hanky. And then there were aliens at some point. I was like, okay, I have to not take notes. I just have to enjoy the movie. <laughs> That's yeah, the point. I mean, I'm 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 really happy to hear that that was your experience. <laughs> I mean, that's more or less what in the in in the final version of it we're going for, where it's like, is this 
is he in his head? Does he just, is Sam thinks that Woody is in his head because mm-hmm. that's how he's rationalized it. And we slowly start to understand that that's not the case. Yeah. Talk about like when, when it comes to the representation of that kind of like a relationship between a man and his hanky, like that's an unusual relationships and you use puppets for it. Like, would you, for a future project, use puppets? Like what are the limitations or the advantages of using puppets over like VFX apart from the budget, obviously? Well, there's a lot of, look, for, for one, for one thing that was great is that, um, you know, when we brought in Seth, Seth Green to do the voice of Harry after the fact. Um, Harry had been voiced by either, you know, either me or Toby um, during the production. But we were aware that using puppets, we were like, it'll be very easy. We could bring in other actors. We might not be able to get to come to the snow with us to who could come in and do voice work. Um, Seth was always on our mind because, you know, Seth and Claire, Claire who plays Kelly are married too. Mm -hmm. And, um i mean look seth wasn't in the movie mostly because we didn't want we were making this really weird movie and we didn't want seth because he has you know he's a celebrity he has a a profile we we didn't want seth to think we were just like using him to be in this movie and then afterwards seth was like well i feel a little left out i didn't get to be in the movie and we were like okay you can you can be what do you want to be you want to be the voice of the hat you want to be the voice of the napkin what do you want to do and he was like i'll do whatever and and by then I had sort of fallen in love with Toby's performance of Woody. And so, mm-hmm. but the hat was always, the hat in my mind was always voice, the voice of Skeletor. And I knew that from watching Robot Chicken, I knew Seth Skeletor inside and out. I was like, so when Seth was like, what do you want me to do for this hat? And I was like, do Skeletor. Like, I know you have, I know you have this voice. So Seth came in and, and was able to just like do ADR on the hat that like, really elevated the hat's performance a lot (laughs) like i have to give that a tremendous amount of credit for whatever the sort of life and charisma is like in this uh in the hat i think he brought a a lot to it in a in like an hour you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like you can spend uh a lot of time on a movie and then find something that really very quickly brings it up and i think so that was one of the things that we we sort of knew with puppets going in from the beginning is that we would be able to, it does give you a kind of freedom in the editing room. Mm-hmm. You, you're not, and, and it makes it a little easier, you know, you're, it was easier, the kind of puppets we were using, it was, you know, we didn't have to worry so much about the performance of the, of the, of the, of the puppets in the, in the shot. Mm-hmm. So that sped things up, which was important for us because we were always, we did not have nearly as much time as we needed or wanted to, to shoot this. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's everybody's problem, but like for us, you know, most of us were, were used to working in, in television on like big budget projects with yeah. whole crews and sound stages and stuff like, and so, you know, we were all like, sure, you, in TV, you shoot five, six, seven, maybe eight pages a day. We were like, okay, so we'll, we'll try to shoot at least five, six, seven pages a day or whatever. And it was like, well, we have no crew. We had multiple cameras, but we didn't have enough crew to shoot with the multiple cameras most of the time. Mm-hmm. So it just was like, oh, we don't, we, we don't have enough time to shoot this movie. Mm-hmm. And, and so anything you can do to speed things up, puppets are helpful for that, or they were yeah. for us. Also with the um, logistics, like you said, you didn't have the the people for 
as long as you wanted to. How long did it take for you to film the whole thing? We shot for three weeks in Utah, and then we did four days of pickup shoots in LA. So okay. it's a sometime, somewhere around, I have to, I have to remember, I think a couple of those weeks we shot six day weeks, but it was, it was somewhere around 20 days. Oh. To be honest, like that's a really, really good film with no budget and 20 days and three different DPs and like a family like cast to be made. Like that's a stellar film that you've made. So congratulations. Uh, that was <laughs> that was our hope is like we were just like I think we could do this right mm -hmm. let's just let's it was almost an experiment and also just like okay can we prove it to ourselves can we make a feature film that is an actual movie with with not with just like what we collectively already have mm -hmm. a couple things before we uh conclude I was wondering um you know you have this kind of like a family environment with like three different DPs did you have, like, what are the advantages of working with people who have a different skill set on the same skill that you're looking for? Like, does it contribute to creating that vision that you have, like the uniformity in it? Or is there like magic in the diversity? That's a a great question. Like, I, I don't know. I've had, I mean, some feedback I've gotten from the film is that some people feel like it looks, it's shot unevenly, right? Well, I mean, because on some level it absolutely is. Um, in a perfect world, I think you could lean in, if you could lean into the diversity of the sort of strengths, like the different DPs that we had probably had had different styles and different strengths that might have worked for, um, you know, different things. Like Kevin... I think he has a, a great eye for a lot of the really dark horror stuff. And Morgan has a great eye for a lot of the like more character based comedy stuff. He's like, he likes to, you know, have things be brighter and clearer and easier to see for the humor. Whereas Kevin likes it sort of darker and more. And so you, we had to try to rein it all together and, and they're all very capable of doing each other's thing and making it look like one thing. But like, if you really, it would be cool if you could schedule it so that you shot the stuff that was best suited to the DPs that you had. The reality is we were, we were the order that we shot things was determined almost entirely by actor availability. Um, you know, cause we tried to shoot this in like, this was shot in the first couple of weeks of January um, when there wasn't a lot of other work, you know, it was sort of before pilot season started back when there was mm -hmm. pilot season, pilot season. Um, and so we were like, well, cram it in before everybody has a lot of jobs. And, you know, we basically went up there for like Christmas to prep, <laughs> like, and had New Year's in the cabin and then started shooting immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, and with but I think, I think pr this is a complicated way of saying pros and cons, like to, to, to having lots of different people doing. Mm -hmm. Obviously having everybody d doing sound is not ideal because <laughs> it's hard to get exact great levels and get the good sound and everybody holds the boom slightly differently, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that, that's not ideal, but, um, luckily our buddy Sam Cortez was there for a couple, he came for two weeks. Shout out to Sam who, mm -hmm. um, held, who he just held the boom basically <laughs> for a couple weeks, which was enormously helpful. Um, Amazing. So I was doing it while directing the week before that. Mm -hmm. And um, I won't take up any more of your time. I just wanted to 
know if you have any advice for recent film school graduates because you're a teacher and what what's something you'd say to your class on their graduation for example it's so like it's so I don't have everything is so case by case right and this mm -hmm. is why I think like the the advice is just like make stuff help other people make stuff because mm -hmm. there is no other advice that comes there's nothing that there everything there's it's very hard to have general rules <laughs> about you know what mm -hmm. to do and how to do this how about something you'd say to them about breaking into the industry? Well, right now is a, just a real peachy time to try to do it. I mean, it's, 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 t especially for, I mean, look, I'm primarily a, a writer mm -hmm. and right now is just like, you know, with the end of the strikes, I don't, I don't know what's happening. Like, I don't, my, my, I mean, if you're in Los Angeles and you're an aspiring writer, but you're not a working writer yet, it kind of feels like, well, were you out on the picket lines? Because if you weren't, then just you need to go do something else for a few years because the, the like the, the group of people trying to get their foot in the door and like who has priority right now is long and hard. And there's so many of us who are, you know, I'm a writer's guild member, I was a, a captain and finding work on tv shows right now just feels like virtually impossible which is why you do things like you write other scripts you write any things you go make movies with your friends you do everything that you possibly can mm -hmm. but the sort of like bre breaking in right now feels like I, I i a few years ago i would have had advice i would have been like oh here's okay make friends with production coordinators so you can get pa jobs so you can get assistant jobs so you can get whatever and like here's how to do it here are the people who hire assistant level things like APOCs, assistant production office coordinators, like those are your friend. Like, I don't even know if I like if those kinds of things hold anymore. Like the industry's moving so fast, the way mm -hmm. things are happening, the way people get hired. Like, I feel like I am particularly ill-equipped to like give anybody advice on any of this element. It is crazy, but maybe in the sort of wildness of how crazy it is there 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 will come opportunities i don't know no i appreciate what you said already about the the past way of doing things and how the industry is moving it's just we're all taking it one step of the one step at a time and um on an ending note uh your film's being screened at the la comedy film festival as i understand that's right we have uh we we're preparing at this small local festival it seems really cool um we just went to their opening night uh, party which was pretty fun we got free beer and tacos it was great Always. um uh, i think it's like an 80 person theater and we've almost sold it out so i'm um i'm assuming it. i think we will sell it out exciting so, yeah so it'll, i think it'll be a good uh a, a good screening i mean the movie really look comedy especially works best with an audience because everybody laughing together is a really great experience i mean when i when i screened the when i screened the film for, for some of my students it was like that's the fear is you turn this movie on and then if it's just silent and people don't people kind of have to start laughing early mm. because nobody starts laughing halfway through a movie you know what i mean like you yeah. got to get people on board quick and so and we did and you and the, the the movie sort of works that way i worry that for a film where so much of distribution now is streaming it will be people watching this at home by themselves that's a it's a kind of a harder sell i think 
Um, um, I mean, I watched the film at 7.30 in the morning in a house all by myself on my TV. And I was scared at some point that I, <laughs> I was so scared at some point. And then I was screaming at the TV at another point. And then I was just laughing out loud. And I think that's that was a great experience, in my opinion. <laughs> I just hope that's what people happen, like people happen to see on the screen in, in a theater oh, so told to the other people. <laughs> I'm so happy that that, you, that that that's how it works. No, it really was a great experience, I and I hope um, my fan club for that one scene grows with the screening. Yeah, I will. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> it'll be um, it'll be interesting. So, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm mostly excited, and, and we're talking to some potential distributors about an online release that I don't know exactly mm-hmm. what the timeline would look like yet, but um. I think the movie will find it will find its way into availability soon, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's it's a real like a movie like this is a real like it's going to live or die on word of mouth. And if people really respond to it and are like, "You got to see this weird movie with this hat," that <laughs> it's like a sex scene between a hat and a uh, and like a spill. Like what is what is the, or a napkin and a spill of <laughs> wine or whatever. Um, this really was a lesson in like filmmaking on on a budget or lack thereof and that's fantastic Thank you so much for appreciating it because it does feel look hanky panky is like it's silly and it's absurd but then you we committed like i i committed to the bit of mm-hmm. like i'm gonna bring this movie over the it's it's a lot i color corrected the movie myself which is i had to like <laughs> learn how to color correct like it's it's a lot of a lot of work to see something through even when it's this preposterous and ridiculous and mm-hmm uh to have to have you know people like you watch it and 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 sort of appreciate it and get it and sort of like be like oh okay this is i see how this is entertaining um is enormously gratifying because you you worry that people will look at this and be like this is stupid and then and then (laughs) turn away um and that's that's all you're trying to avoid no like i said it's ridiculous but in the best way in the, in the way that makes you stop taking notes and just solely enjoy the film. So I hope that's that's what's in the future of this film. <laughs> I'm so happy. Yeah, it's not a movie that rewards note-taking. Maybe. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Nick. This was a joy talking to you about the film. Likewise. And all the best at the film festival. Appreciate it.